Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Always good to start the recording. Okay, that looks like good levels. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. My name is Kevin Fulton. I'm a professor and podcast host. And today we're going to talk about the application of gene editing to solve a critical public health problem. Now, as we overcome basic diseases, things that used to kill people like heart attacks and and pneumonia and other types of communicable disease, we start to see the rising incidence of more long-term degenerative diseases, things like long-term neurological diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, but also a rise of certain kinds of cancers. And they're probably more an artifact of us living longer and, and just taking uh, the longer life, lending itself to opportunities for these types of long-term diseases. There's also a variety of environmental insults over time that have been documented to contribute to different types of cancers. But there's hope on the horizon. Um, And all the spectrum of different therapies that are out there, there's one that recently uh, caught my eye, and I really was excited to speak to the scientists involved in this project. So today we go to Tel Aviv University in Tel Aviv, Israel, we're speaking with Professor Dan Peer. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Peer. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining me. I was so excited to see this story, and I've covered it in other uh, venues. And it just is a really innovative technique that I think everybody in this podcast will really enjoy. So when we talk about um, this in the popular press, it says everywhere, this is a new alternative to chemotherapy. And so can you tell me a little bit about the cancers that you're working with and are those traditionally difficult to solve with conventional therapies? Yes. So basically we have uh, worked with uh, GBM, with the glioma, which is a brain tumor and with the metastatic, very aggressive ovarian cancer. These usually are considered to be difficult to solve with conventional chemotherapy. Actually, glioma is a devastating disease, a brain tumor that is uh, uh, highly metastatic, spread, and um, very hard to treat, mostly because of its location. Not many alternative with a survival rate of around 3%, uh, a five-year survival rate of about 3%. Uh, ovarian cancer is more optimistic in that sense, but still around 80% of the patients are being diagnosed at a late stage, and that's a major problem. And so um, for us, this is basically a proof of concept, but we believe it could also be applied to other type of cancers. Okay, those are really uh, important statistics to understand based upon what you found in your studies. Um, so like 3% five-year survival rate for glioma. 
And so that, I just want the audience to kind of grab onto that number. It's, it's a very grim prognosis. And So, yeah, in the U.S., it's about three. The incidence is about three new cases out of 100,000 uh, people, uh, which is actually not so little. Ovarian a little even more uh, known. I think last year there were about 20,000 new cases in the U.S., and what are the current approaches? What? How do you solve a brain tumor now like this or even deal with late-stage ovarian cancer? So usually, you know, surgery is important. Then there is, uh, in brain tumors, there are either radiation or a type of chemotherapy, uh, sometimes with the biological treatment, sometimes without. Uh, and, and usually, you know, from the median survival is around 15 months from diagnosis in, in brain tumors like this. Ovarian is more optimistic, but still, you know, the majority that are diagnosed at the late stage will predominantly survive somewhere around two years. So if you're diagnosed early, then you have almost a complete recovery. But if you're diagnosed late in ovarian cancer, then you have a real problem. But your approach is completely different. You're using gene editing to attack the tumor by uh, targeting specific genes that are required for proliferation, which is really a fundamental basis or fundamental characteristic of cancer cells. And so tell me a little bit about the type of editing you're using and what genes are the targets. So as a proof of concept, we chose a gene that is responsible uh, for the proliferation of those types of cancers. Um, and this is something that, you know, we were, we basically tested both in, uh, in culture, in cell lines, in some primary cells as well. So we had the knowledge that this is an important gene. And the idea was, let's cut it out. And if you cut it at the DNA level, it will not be expressed anymore. So a kind of uh, an alternative to chemotherapy, and the beauty is that you don't really have to have another treatment. So it is a one or two treatments. And again, it really depends on how many cells you can reach. But when you reach the right cells, then you kill them. So this is, you know, with, with potentially less side effects for us, this is something which is very, very important to improve the quality of life as well as the, um, as well as extending the survival of those patients. So quality of life is, is very important. Uh, what gene is affected and what does it normally do? So we target pololykinase, which is a cell cycle regulating gene. Um, in the cell cycle, it's somewhere between G2 to M, uh, to mitosis. And um, basically, when we cut this gene, uh, there is no proliferation. So you block basically the cell cycle and the cells will not proliferate. And just for people who don't know about cell cycle, this is a process, a very orderly process that the cell undergoes every time it doubles itself. And so to say that it arrests between G2 and M means that 
it makes everything that it needs to make two cells, but doesn't go into that division phase. It doesn't go into splitting into two. So that's uh, that. This is, means that all these cells arrest at the edge of splitting, but don't. So the so that's why it arrests. But these are all in solid tumors, at least the two that you described. And so, how easy is it to deliver this kind of therapy into different layers of a solid tumor? That's a perfect question. The answer is we basically have only our experience. And we do it with lipid-based nanoparticles, very similar to what is now used by both BioNTech slash Pfizer or uh, Moderna, basically a similar technology when you wrap an mRNA that instead of encoding the, uh, the spike protein for the coronavirus, it's encoding uh, a protein that basically cuts the DNA together with another guide RNA, it's a little bit complex, and we deliver it uh, both locally or systemically, I would say, with kind of a GPS system, kind of a targeting approach that will target a specific receptor in the cancer cells. Okay, so this is, this is the part that I'm really curious about. So let's talk about that after the break. We're speaking with Dr. Dan Peer at Tel Aviv University in one of my favorite cities in the world. Um, we're talking about the breakthrough in CRISPR-based gene editing specifically sent to cancer cells dealing with two particularly aggressive cancers. And we'll be back with the Talking Biotech podcast in just a moment. Once available, your company or organization can absolutely benefit from more COVID-19 compliance with the vaccine. But will your employees get the jab or follow the guidance from some wacky website? Broad vaccination benefits everyone, and it's critical to returning your economies to normal, one business at a time. Plus... It's good for a healthy community. But vaccine hesitancy is still very real and threatens our economies and communities. Dr. Kevin Fulta and Dr. Asha Bruni have developed a COVID-19 communications program to inspire vaccination through education. This one-hour empowering seminar gives your colleagues or employees the tools they need to effectively communicate the pandemic's realities and remedies with their family and friends. It is a train-the-trainers event, deputizing your employees to take leadership roles in curbing the pandemic. The program covers communication strategies, why the vaccine is necessary, and the benefits that come from a healthy and vaccinated population. Plus, your questions are answered. The presentation has already been presented to over 10,000 people in leading corporations and municipalities. For more information, check out the COVID-19 Communications tab on KevinFolta.com. And now back to this week's podcast. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast. We're speaking with Dr. Dan Peer. He's 
a scientist in Tel Aviv University who is working with ways of delivering gene editing hardware to cancer cells specifically to limit their proliferation. And in the first part of the podcast, we talked about this arrest at this G2M phase and how they break it, how it stops the cells from proliferating. But cell proliferation is a pretty important thing in the body and different, you know, for skin and hair and many other and many other parts of human physiology. So how do you target this specifically to a cancer cell? So this is the million dollar question, right? So basically cancer cells express on their surface specific receptors. And what we try to do is to coat our lipid nanoparticle that entrap all those goodies. Uh, we want to coat them with antibodies, which are ligands to those specific receptors. And we have created a few years ago a strategy that basically it's a kind of a universal adapter, kind of a universal um, a targeting approach that you just need to replace your antibodies and then you go to different cell types that express those receptors. So we have the capabilities, technological capabilities, to target now lipid nanoparticles to specific cell types. How do they penetrate inside a solid tumor? That's still a mystery, but we do see them inside if we cut this. Probably it's an active process. <laughs> that's really that's really wild. I would never think that would be possible, but but very interesting. So, uh, which receptor are you targeting? So, in our examples, we are targeting EGFR. Yeah, so that's a it's an epidermal growth factor uh, receptor, and I've seen other ones that uh, other folks have had like uh, CAR T cells or other cells that have been targeting things like guanylyl cyclase and and other receptors or other um, molecules that are signatures on cancer cells, and so you can switch switch out the antibodies to be able to make kind of a modular targeting units. So you, can you just change it to target a different kind of cancer cell with different receptors? Yes, it, it, definitely. So we try different approach. Uh, we published a few papers in the past two years that actually give us the opportunity to target different cell types uh, by just changing the primary antibody. So this linker strategy, which is basically a lipoprotein, is providing us with the ability to target uh, almost, I would say, uh, a huge repertoire of potential antibodies that can go to different directions. The beauty of this, that it's a simple process. The challenge, however, is that you have to really fit the right targeting molecules with the right target cells. Not in all cases, all antibodies that you're going to coat on your surface of lipid nanoparticles will be able to penetrate efficiently into, for example, cancer cells. It's really depending on the specific receptor ligand interaction, how fast this process is, what is the kinetics. This is a major or crucial, I would say, crucial point in our system. That's uh, it's really interesting. So are there other types of, let's, you know, even get away from cancer. Are there other diseases that could potentially be uh, targeted by 
by being able to deliver gene editing to specific cell types that have different surface antigens? So, you know, my lab has been interested in leukocytes. Immune cells are fascinating. And different types of immune cells have different uh, roles and capabilities. And so we study the receptor ligand interaction in different subsets of immune cells. And for example, a few years ago, we show we can go after, for example, mantle cell lymphoma, which is a B-cell malignancy, or um, leukocytes, inflammatory leukocytes uh, in a mouse model, for example. So we can narrow down our strategy to really, really small fraction of those cells in a very, very specific manner. And just imagine, of course, therapy is very important. And we all strive for, you know, getting better cures. But if you can imagine that we can use the system also to do what we call in vivo drug discovery, it's fascinating because we can identify new potential drug targets in their natural environment by injecting those uh, lipid-based nanoparticles coated with the right antibody to a specific subset of cells and then delivering a relevant payload. It could be a small interfering RNA or a messenger RNA, or we can do genome editing in that approach. And in the right environment, we can understand what does it do to the neighbor cells. And I think this is a wonderful tool. Of course, I'm biased. But this is, this is what we do. I would be biased too. I think this is fantastic because you know you mentioned the vaccines and being able to use these lipid nanoparticles to encase mRNA, but in, in this case, you could use these antibody uh, tethered, uh, you know, with the linker um, t- uh, targeting uh, nanoparticles to deliver mRNA or anything, right? So you could you could presumably even attack things like HIV, where you have specific receptors where the virus docks. Exactly. I mean, you could kind of do anything with this, right? Is this just like a, this is kind of a universal delivery vehicle. You just change the key to find the right lock. Yeah, this is what we, we want to believe, right? But at the end of the day, our examples are, you know, somewhere between immune cells, for example, in inflammatory bowel diseases, different types of cancers, some viral infections, and also rare genetic diseases. And, but I, you mentioned that this was done in my, my mouse model, which is an important point to make I should have made earlier. So all of these are done in mice. How well do those results potentially translate to humans? That's another wonderful question. So it's really hard to predict, but I would say, I would say, um, that, you know, we hope that the translation will be kind of a, well, it's never straightforward, but uh, will not take us a long time to prove because this is our goal. So we want to really go into the clinic with those. We know that, for example, our lipid-based uh, RNA payloads is safe. We have uh, undergo all the development on this including some non-human primate data. But at the end of the day, before you inject it into human, you never know. So I think this is our challenge now, is really to be able to translate this 
in relevant doses into humans. Well, with that in mind, you know, you talk about, um, we spoke early in the podcast about the prevalence of this disease and its survivability for gliomas as well as late-stage ovarian cancer, and both were relatively grim. What kind of results did you see in mice in terms of life elongation and quality of life? Well, you know, quality of life is very hard to interpret because <laughs> we can yeah. interview the mice. But yeah. uh, I would say that in, term of, in terms of extension, so first we have seen that a single administration, single dose in GBM, in a very aggressive form of a GBM, resulted in about 70% uh, genome editing by next generation sequencing. This was done blinded. Um, and and the, the survival was, the overall survival was about 30% in a single dose. The median survival was increased by 50%. In the ovarian cancer, we have seen in two doses, 80% genome editing and 80% increase in survival. And that's, I think, it's it's a very good starting point. It's a very good starting point, and I, I, you know, and I'm not a cancer biologist, but it seems like something like this that if uh, for some disease, some of the types of cancers that develop from multiple genetic events, that if you could detect it early before it's made a commitment to something like angiogenesis or metastasis, you would really have a chance to really cut this off at the at the beginning. Uh, using this kind of approach because it's targeted. And is that kind of the long-term thinking of this is almost a prophylactic treatment against cancers? So, yes, that's one thought. But I think that, unfortunately, we are not there yet. So, you know, if you want to fantasize what the future will be, yes. I think that right now we can tailor this in a personalized manner. That means that we can sequence a biopsy and we definitely understand tumor biology. So we understand that the tumor of today is not the tumor of tomorrow. That means that if you get a treatment, things can change, even at the DNA level. It's rare, but it happens. And so we understand that we need to get a biopsy to sequence it, to know and learn about the mutation or what genes are important and to try then to design something to cut those. The beauty of genome editing approach is that you can actually do this in silico, all the design after you sequence, and then you just need to synthesize your payloads and, of course, your delivery system. And so you have basically everything in one shop that have the capabilities of doing the what we call the bioinformatics doing the sequencing, analyzing the data, synthesize the payload and synthesize the delivery system and wrap everything in one vehicle. That's really amazing because it can be so personalized. And thinking about this in the context of um, what we're learning about cancer and human genome sequence, you know, that the, the genes that predispose you potentially to problems, uh, you know, a lot of interesting things that could be done by combining that with this kind of technology. I guess the big question I think about is that it uh, it looks like it's really promising in mice, and that's great. And in everything I've read, it seems like you're 
really ready to move to human clinical trials very quickly. Does it seem realistic, like this will be something um, that will be tested in actual human trials soon? Well, at least this is what we want to do. Of course, you know, we need to raise uh, both capital and the right talent to bring it to the clinic. But I'm an optimistic person. I think it's doable. Um, and I think we owe it. We owe it to the patient also to try this. So I think that, you know, if we will not do it, that's not good. So I think you have to be bold. You have to try. Of course, you have to look for safety issues, which are very, very important. But at the same time, I'm also very optimistic because I think that first, if we don't do it, somebody else will. So I think this field is actually, it's like booming right now, right? So, so I think that uh, we owe it to the patients. No, I agree. I think there's, um, there are so many people I know who uh, were affected by cancer, either survived or died from it, who in their late stages um, would have tried anything. And I think you would have many willing folks, especially for uh, glioblastoma, uh, that, uh, that this is uh, something that frequently there's no other cure for. But there are a lot of new, um, uh, new immunotherapies coming along, but this one seems just so much more uh, clean to me. It just seems to make so much sense. If people wanted to learn more about the project, where would they look? Well, they can either Google our lab or Google uh, the genome editing in cancer and find uh, some info there. Um, and there's some other thing that uh, we have uh, we have published, of course, papers, etc. So I think that you know there is some info. Uh, <laughs> again, we are not there yet, but we will do everything in our power uh, to try at least and to uh, try to to move to the clinic in a reasonable time. I cannot say it will be in, in two years or more. I hope it will be a shorter time. And I think the corona situation, we learned that, you know, many things can be scaled up quite quickly. And we were a little bit involved in some of the aspects. So we really understand that this part is relatively easy. The genome editing part is a little bit more tricky. And to personalize it for, for cancer patients is even more tricky. So I think we have some challenges, but we are optimistic. We want to do this. Very good. And you're also um, on Twitter. So those listening can follow uh the Peer Lab at Peer Lab at P E E R underscore L A B. And uh, that's uh, them on Twitter. Well, Dr. Dan Peer, it, it's really exciting to hear about the innovations that are coming from your lab. Um, it's, uh, it gives hope for people who are suffering from this or have relatives who are, because some technology like this in the modern age of you know, rapid deployment of new technologies. If we learned anything from coronavirus, as you said, maybe this will happen in their lifetime. And for people who are affected by cancers, that means a lot. So thank you very much for what you do. And thank you for being a guest today. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you consume podcast media. Thank you very much for listening and for telling friends. 
Our numbers grow every week. And it's exciting innovation that's driving it, but it's also listeners like you who are loyal, who share the stories that science gives us. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. The Talking Biotech Podcast reflects the personal views of Dr. Kevin Fulta and its guests. These are not the views of the University of Florida, its faculty, staff, or students. But after all, it is science, so they probably are, but it has to be clear that there is no university affiliation with this podcast, which is a damn shame, but I guess that's how it goes. So feel free to share this science communication effort, recommend guests, and support us with a few shekels over on Patreon. We invest all funds back into promotion of the podcast to widen the audience, enhance production, and expand science communication efforts in many ways. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.